Um, I'm going to give you all a headache here in just a minute. I'm going to ask you to remember what we talked about last week. Oh, <laughs> a test early in the morning. Um, and to give you, you can open your Bibles. We're in Ephesians 4 to do a reminder and just to give you some space. Uh, just a reminder, Ephesians is written by this guy named Paul, and he's writing to a church that he founded for about three years. He, he was there and helped that grow, and then he left. He's about six years removed from the church in Ephesus, and he's at the end of his life. It's about 62 AD. He's about ready to be beheaded for his belief that Jesus is who he said he was, which is pretty incredible because for a season of his life, he hated Jesus and hated the church and persecuted, and then had a personal experience with Jesus, and for the next about 25 years, he planted churches all over the place and spread the name of Jesus. And so he's writing back to this church in Ephesus. And the first half of the letter of Ephesus is about all we have in Christ. And then the second half is just how that plays out in everyday life. And so last week, we broke it into three sections. Can anybody remember the first section? What was it called? It was, yeah, bigs, that was part of it. The first section was called unity. And Paul says, make every effort to uh, maintain the spirit of unity through the bond of peace. Make every effort. That it takes effort to stay unified together. That our tendency is to grow apart from each other because we say and do things that wound each other. And we kind of generally move apart from each other. Uh, sorry, I missed this slide. There's Ephesus right below Turkey there. Uh, and we said that... Um, to move apart from each other is natural, but we're part of a body, the body of Christ. So it would be unnatural for my hand to be over there. Uh, it needs to be a part of my body. And the example we gave last week was eyebrows, that it would be weird to have eyebrows off the side of the face. Eyebrows are powerful that we learned last week, but it would be odd to have them over there. They need to be on the body. And the same true is for followers or believers. If you are isolated by yourself, not in connection with the body, with people that know your junk and your stuff, that's not how God intended you to live. He intended you to live close inside the body of Christ. The second section, anybody remember what that was called? I know your brains are hurting. Activity, very good, very good. Uh, he says you're part of the body of Christ is one thing, but you need to be active, doing works of service. And the example we gave was, the funny one was this. I have something called Bell's palsy, and the left side of my face is paralyzed. I can't move it. I'm trying to raise both eyebrows and my nose, but only half of my face is obeying. And Paul is saying, for some reasons, some people are like that. They're part of the body, but they're paralyzed. They're not moving. They they're just keep going like this, right? And so instead, you should be active in works of service for the body. Be active in this body is what he's saying. And then the third section, what was that? Maturity. Good. Thank you very much. He's saying... Uh, hey, it's, if you're part of the body and you're not active, he likens that to being immature. And here's a picture of baby Henry. He says you are infants, part of the body, but not active. You are infants. So let's be active. Each one doing his part as he closes that section, which gets us to the second half of Ephesians. Uh, and this section has four sections. I know that's a lot to t teach on, but we break them down really quickly. It's, it's life uh, apart from God. Can you say apart Life in God, can you say in? Good, life transformed by God, transformed. And then lastly, a life loved by God. Can you say loved? Very good. 
Uh, and then as you know that I teach, I love to have images. You want to hit all the learning styles. So the image I want you to think about as we cruise through here are monarch butterflies. Isn't that incredible? There's a group of about 11 or 12 forests down in the mountains of Mexico that this group, this colony of butterflies flies to every year. Sort of like a salmon fly, flies, swims to, the, <laughs> swims to the same place. The, these monarchs end up in the same place every year, which is really incredible. And it's this thick. They attach to the trees this densely in these areas, which is pretty crazy, amazing, really. But the most amazing thing apart about it is this. If you look at this picture here, the first generation leaves Mexico and then goes up to northern, what is that, Louisiana, and then they all die, and a new generation is born, and then they fly up to maybe North Carolina, and then they all die, and a new generation flies all the way up to Maine, as far as Maine. And those three generations, they live about, I think it was six to nine weeks. But for some reason, this fourth generation lives about nine months and they have this beacon. It's time to go to this forest. And they don't, they don't know how this happens, but they make their way all the way down to these forests. And what's most incredible about it is they make it to the forest, but their parents have never been to this forest. Their grandparents have never been to this forest, but still they end up here. Isn't that incredible? Uh, so I want you to think about that. I want you to think about a caterpillar going into the chrysalis, coming out, becoming a butterfly, and then this beacon. This is where I'm going to be called to. All right, you tracking with me? Okay, let me get this, um, this first here. This first section, which is life apart from God, um, it's a mini version of Romans chapter 1. Paul wrote another letter, the book of Romans to the Romans, um, and it's his greatest work. It's his theses. It's, it's incredible. If the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are one mountaintop, another mountaintop is the book of Romans. If you understand that, it explains why we need to be saved and how we are saved in great detail. You own your, your faith if you really understand, especially those first eight chapters. But the first chapter says that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And that just means you should be able to look at the mountains or the ants or the ocean and come to the conclusion there is a God. And Romans says the correct response to that is to glorify him and thank him. Wow, this is amazing. Thank you so much. That should be our response. But what we do is the opposite. We say we don't glorify, we don't thank, and we say, no, I don't want you, God. And God says there's a, a response to that, a consequence, a, almost a punishment for that. When we say, I don't want you, God, God does something really scary. He, Romans 1 tells us he gives us exactly what we want. He says, you don't want me, I'm going to take my hands away. Or a better way to say it is he's holding back a dam. And he says, if you don't want me, I'm going to let my hands go and release this, this, I'm holding it back. And Romans 1 says that when we say no to God, he lets go and sin just starts flowing out, right? It says they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They disobey their parents. They invent ways of doing evil. Uh, sexual perversions start. All because people say, I don't want anything to do with you. 
And I think if you look at America, that's kind of where we're headed, right? We say we don't want you, God, more and more as a nation, and we see lots of sins starting to root up, all right? That's Romans 1, and we're going to see really quickly here as we go through this. He says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility that is thinking. And here's our little Romans 1. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They've hardened their hearts, and now they're ignorant of God and what he has. And then the next verse is the consequences for that. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed, not just money greed, but they just want more and more. We say, apart from God, sin just starts flowing out of us. All right? You tracking with me? That's the thick one. The rest is pretty easy and more applicable. Um, He gets in the second session. He says, he's talking to the Ephesians. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You didn't say no to God. You said yes to God. You said yes to Jesus, what that means. And the simple message of Jesus is that when we sin, when we're living in rebellion to God, the consequence of that is death. And what Jesus did is he suffered and died on the cross so that we might live. He died so that we might live. And that's the message that the Ephesians embraced. And Paul says that's the way it is. And then what happens is a transformation, uh, just like a butterfly. And he says this. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, caterpillar. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. The, The literal word is take off. And I am wearing a bunch of layers right now. You might have thinking, man, Rick's been beefing up. He's been getting big and strong, but no. I'm wearing five layers, and my wife was really clear, said, make sure you tell them you're not gonna take off your (laughs) T-shirt. I'm not gonna be shirtless, but I'm gonna take off layers. We all have not just one layers, we have a lot of layers that we need to take off in order to become more like Jesus. The literal translation is to take off the old man, not the, or the old woman, the old person. Uh, And I am 51 years old, and some of you think, wow, that's old. And some of you think, hey, you're pretty young, Rick, (laughs) right? But I'm 51, and I'm starting to feel it. My back hurts, my knee hurts, my shoulder hurts. I I can't see up close anymore. I got to go to the bathroom at night, right? My body is breaking down, and I would really love to get rid of this old body and put on my 25-year-old body, right? And that's what Paul is saying, not putting on your new physical body, but he's saying, you were this old thing and now you're going to put on a new spiritual body and I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to help you become a butterfly. And when we do, when we place our faith in Jesus, this little beacon goes off in our heads, just like the butterfly's got to travel to that forest. When you place your faith in Jesus, this little thing goes off in your brain and you start becoming, wanting to become more like Jesus. That starts to become your heart's desire. He says, um, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. Um, And that that word is not just your minds, but kind of your whole self. Just like a picture of caterpillar in a chrysalis. Your whole body, your whole person is becoming a new thing, which is really exciting. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Um, righteousness is just in being in good standing with God. If you think about maybe your earthly dad, is that something you're 
like this or like this. You, you kind of know. And when you place your faith in Jesus, God is always, hey, you're awesome. I love you. You're so great. It's always in right standing with God, not because of how awesome you are or how many layers you've taken off. It's because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Can I say amen? amen. Yes. Um, and so holiness is being set apart for God. Or another way to think about holiness is you're becoming more like Jesus. You're, you're becoming more in his image. Um, this is the transformation of, you know, from the chrysalis to the butterfly. We're coming out. We're becoming a new thing. Uh, but here is an image that, that kind of describes holiness. As time goes on, we should be coming more like Jesus, right? That is the process we want to be. And I read a book that kind of described it this way, too. We're practicing holiness. We're getting more like Jesus. But the more we get like Jesus, the more we realize I got a long ways to go still. We never arrive. We're never totally like Jesus. It's just a journey for us, right? It's not to make God love us more or appreciate us more. It's just the journey to become more like Jesus. And Jesus kind of hints at this in his Sermon on the Mount in the, in the uh, book of Matthew. And he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. Um, and you can think simply of the Ten Commandments. You can look at the Ten Commandments and kind of think, you know, I'm kind of close. I'm, it's sort of like a pole vaulter. Like if this was our thing, I, yeah, I could pole vault over that. It says, do not murder. I've, I've not murdered. I could get over that. Do not commit adultery. I haven't committed adultery. I can kind of get over that. And what Jesus does is he fulfills the law and he goes through some of those things. He said, you have heard it said, do not murder. And anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you, if you are even angry with your brother or sister, you're subject to judgment. And he takes the pole and he puts it way up there. And he says, there's no way I can get over that, right? It's exposing sin. Romans chapter 2 says the purpose of the law is to let us know we're sick. We need help. He says, hey, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. I can do that. But I tell you, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Whoa, it's so hot. There's no way I can get over that, right? He's bringing us to our knees saying, the only way I can get here is through grace. That God is the only way I can get through. He says, you have heard it said, love your enemies and hate your neighbor, or love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies, love your neighbors and bless your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for them. That is way up there, right? It's not to get in right standing with God. It's just to get more and more in Jesus' image. And this is very linear. I think it's more like this, <laughs> right? Uh, if you think about an animal, uh, what kind of animal flies in that pattern? A butterfly, yeah. I think that's kind of our walk with Jesus as we're becoming more like Jesus, you know? <laughs> You know, up and down and sideways, and God isn't like, oh, you're great, no, you're bad, no, go this way. He's just delighted you're on the journey towards this forest. He's delighted that you are becoming more like Jesus. The track and the pace, it's not like a majestic eagle, like you're headed in the same direction, but it's kind of more like that, and God just loves that we're on that journey together, all right? Now I get to start taking off some layers because I am really hot up here. <laughs> He says, now he starts, he lists five things I want you to take off and I want you to put on, all right? Becoming a new thing, an old thing and now becoming a new thing. The first one is, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. He wants you to take off falsehood 
and put on truthfulness is what we need to do. This is harder for some than for others. My wife and I started a mentoring program for guys who are, who are really vulnerable to dropping out of high school, and we teach them eight things that make a man. They get two each year. And the first year, they are taught, hey, you gotta own your mistakes. If you don't learn to own your mistakes, you're in a mountain of trouble. But the second one is the man is reliable. You can trust what he says, what he does. It's super important. I'm on the leadership team and we made a mistake this year. We did something as a group that, you know, all eight of us made the decision, so it wasn't hard, but we did something that was not truthful. It was, you know, a little dishonest in a way. And that has really hurt our body and we need to work extra hard to get you to trust us. It underscores the importance of being truthful. So I get to finally take off one of these layers I'm cooking up here. Okay, that's the first one. The second one, it says, in your anger, do not sin. He's not saying don't be angry. We all get angry, Jesus got angry, but he's saying when you are angry, do not sin in that process, right? The thing that we are taking off, I get to take off another one here. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You take off being sinful and angry and you put on moving anger up higher on your priority list. If you are angry with somebody or somebody is angry at you, Paul is saying that needs to move way up your priority list. Don't go three days. Don't go a week or a month. He's saying don't let the sun go down. It is super important. And Jesus, in that same section about anger on the Sermon on the Mount, he says something similar. He says, if you're coming to me to praise me and sacrifice to me, but you realize somebody's angry with you, that's got beef with you, don't worship me. Don't sacrifice to me. I want you to go and be reconciled to this person first. And when that's taken care of, come back here. Anger should be way up on our priority list. Say, I need to take care of that and figure out what is wrong with that. Why? And he gives an, another example here. He says, so you do not give the devil a foothold. Or this Greek word is territory or place or stronghold, that if we harbor anger for a long period of time, scripture is saying that you allow the enemy to have place in your life. It's not, you know, demon possession, but it's territory in your life. And last week we talked about the four bigs. Somebody in the middle said it here. And usually allowing territory in your life happens in one of these four ways. It, it happens in other ways, but it's just important. This is not in the text. This is separate from text. This is the bigs, the four bigs, B-I-G-S. The first one is blessings and curses. This is a review from last week. Um, and we speak words of life and blessing. Curses are you're an idiot, you're stupid, you're a bad dad, you're a bad son, you're all those words that we have heard throughout our lives. And those have power. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is not true. Those words have power, both in the physical and the spiritual world. In the name of Jesus Christ, you can get together with some Christian brothers and sisters, break that off your life and speak truth into your life and go in another direction. The next one is injustices. Oh, sorry. Injustices. Uh, you got a preview there. <laughs> uh, and these are the things that happen to us. You know, you have, you know, experienced uh, physical or sexual abuse, or you grew up really, really poor, or your parents had a divorce, or there is so many things that happen to us that's not our fault. And our response to those things can be anger and bitterness, allowing territory, or they can be joy and forgiveness is what we're called to, to do. 
And then the second, the third one is generational sin. The Bible talks about sin going to the third and fourth generation. Your, your grandfather was an alcoholic. Your dad's an alcoholic. So you're an alcoholic. Your grandmother suffered from a lot of anxiety. Your mom suffers from anxiety. You suffer from anxiety. Those generational patterns, again, in Jesus Christ's name, can be broken off your life. Get some brothers and sisters together. Say, that, that does not plague my family anymore. And speak new patterns into the generations that are going after you, right? And then the last one is just plain sin. That is no one else's fault. Nothing happened to you. You just chose to be in rebellion, and that unfortunately happens a lot, at least in my life. I choose not to do those things. And we need to spend effort taking these things off. And sometimes when you hit a stronghold, you go to take off the jacket, and <clears throat> you can't get it off. And that's a good sign that, hey, there is some territory there that i got to figure out. There's some anger, bitterness, something going on there that I need to work out before I'm able to really take this thing off. All right, you tracking with me? Doing good on time? Uh, I get to take off another one. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in needs. Um, it was, we said Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman world, so we don't know if there's an unsavory lot as part of the community that's stealing stuff. We're, we're just not really sure. Maybe for our context, are you stealing on your taxes or your business or from your friend or however that would apply to you if God kind of puts that on. That's something I need to take off. But for them, it was people that were stealing. And Paul says, you need to go get a job. You need to go work. And his reasons for that is interesting. He says, you may have something to share with those in need. So you don't want to get a job to help you. I want you to go get a job to help other people, right? To, to be able to help them with their food and whatever else they need, all right? Uh, how many is that? Is that three? I'm losing track of my things here. Um, okay, the next one. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. Unwholesome talk. You're taking off unwholesome talk. And you're putting on words that build other people up. Unwholesome talk is really more specifically, the word here is like tearing other people down. Is your language, especially among the body of believers, is your language building others up? Or is your language tearing others down? We want to take off the language that tears other people down and put on the language that builds other people up. And some people find it really hard. It's just a hard jacket to get off, right? And Paul says, this is linked to the very next verse, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. As, as you look at the text, these are connected. That especially when we are hurting other people in the body of Christ, it grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like, oh man, that hurts so much that you're doing that. To the, one, another person in the body really grieves me. Um, we were on the leadership team and Joy was really great. We, we're really good about not speaking bad about somebody, but we were in this conversation. It started to turn just a little bit, not a lot. It started to turn just a little bit and Joy was like, hey, let's just make sure that we're still always speaking well about everyone in the congregation. It was just a great reminder because we're all hurt and wounded, right? It's just a reminder to speak well um, about other people. And then this is, uh, we'll just go through these real quick. How are we doing on time? We're doing all right. <clears throat> um, personal attributes of the Holy Spirit. Just a reminder that the Spirit is a person, is a, 
has, they have grieves, they bear witness, uh, or he or she or it, it's sort of gender neutral, you know, speaking or interceding for believers, having thoughts, having desires, indwelling believers, searching and investigating, teaching believers, leading the people of God, giving divine gifts. These are all attributes, just a reminder that we're in relationship with the Spirit, right? It's a, it's a genuine relationship we have. Um, and this is, what am I here? I'm, all, I'm a down by a thing here. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm just going to leave this one on. You get the idea. Um, and the, the last one here is to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Um, and these, aren't, these two aren't linked textually, but they're kind of opposite, so it's pretty easy to say take off. Um, get rid of all bitterness, and this is really a progression. Get rid of all bitterness, that's what starts inside of us. Rage and anger, it starts to come out of us. Brawling and slander, that's where we're actively, especially verbally, taking people down. And the last one is malice, that's when you're actually planning to hurt somebody. And uh, we're all on this spectrum right now. I don't know anyone here in this room is clean of being angry or bitter about something. We're all, maybe you're way down the spectrum with somebody right now. And this is the wake up call to say, wow, I got to take care of that. The cue for me, it's a little silly, is when I'm in the shower. (laughs) And it's when I, who am I having a conversation with in the shower, you know? Well, he said this, which means he believes this. And then if I said this, and then I'd get him, yeah, that would be it. Those are the conversations I have in my brain. And that's a cue, like, well, if he did this, then I'm going to do that. That's a cue. Bitterness is starting to grow inside of me. And I'm like, what am I doing? And the opposite is what we're supposed to do. Bless that person. So I get that person in the mind, like, man, bless their career, that that goes really well and their relationships, that they'd be really healthy, give them gobs of money. That's Jesus' response. When you're starting to get bitter and angry, we want to bless that person in the name of Jesus Christ. And some is really hard to get over that you're going to need brothers and sisters to help you get over this, this hump, right? He says the opposite, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The opposite, kind and compassionate, forgiving each other. And we can gloss over that really quickly, but there are deep wounds in this group, uh, not just related to the body, but outside. He's speaking more about in the body of Christ, but deep, deep wounds. This author I like named Malcolm Gladwell, he's written a bunch of cool books, he's got a great podcast. Um, but he gave his life to Jesus. And the reason he did is he sat down with a couple and their son had been molested and murdered by this guy. And they were followers of Jesus. And God brought them to such a point where they could bless the person that did this to their son. And Malcolm's conclusion was, there's no way that originates here on earth. That has to be supernatural. And there are deep wounds in here unforgiveness in here, in here, me too, um, that we need to get over. If they could do that for somebody outside the body of Christ, how much more do we need to do it for those within the body of Christ to really, to really work on that, right? So I've taken off all my things, <laughs> uh, and I've been transparent, right? Anger has been a really hard one for me, but it's just been really sweet. Over the last two weeks, I've just felt a lot of a lot of victory in this area. I just feel God just feeling it dissipate, which is really great. But I feel God over the last two or three months 
pushing on something else, another jacket I have to take off, that he's saying, Rick, you live in a lot of fear, and I want to talk about that. Why do you live in fear? And I'm like, I don't want to take that jacket off. I don't want to go there yet. Um, but it's just to say that there is, I don't know what you're struggling with, but there is victory for you. All right, we're doing good on time. This is the last section. So just to recap, um, the first section was life apart from God. The next one was life in God or in Jesus. The last section was life transformed by God. We're becoming this new thing, right? And the last section is life loved by God. This is so beautiful. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And the walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk as dearly loved children. I worked at a boys and girls club for a bunch of years. And generally speaking, you could tell the kids that were loved well and the kids that were not loved well. The kids that were not loved well, that would really act out in rage and act out, you would see their home life and realize, oh, that makes sense. But the kids that would go through life with much more joy and freedom, and you meet the single parent mom who's loving that kid the best she can really well, you're like, oh, that makes sense. That kid is loved really well. And this is my prayer for us, all of us, that we would understand how much God loves us. If I could ask anything, it would be that, that you would understand how deeply, deeply, deeply God loves you. If you come to that conclusion, the way you interact with people will change radically. The way you interact with yourself will change radically. Certainly the way you interact with God, that he is delighting you. He's not up there looking at you like this. He is up there just beaming with pride and love for you. As you go through life, as you try to become more like his son, he is really, really proud of you. All right, let me close this in prayer. Father, we just pray these four things. If there are people in this room who are apart from God, I pray that they would glorify and thank you right now. They would turn to you, Jesus, Father. And we pray that people that here that are in Jesus, we just celebrate what you have done for us, that you are transforming us. Help us to remember and help us to know what we need to be taking off right now. The things that are getting stuck taking off, help us to break down with some other brothers and sisters in Jesus, how to break through those strongholds and take off these jackets. And finally, lover, Lord, lover. You are our lover of love. Love us so much, Lord. Thank you so much. Help us to understand a greater way in how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.